welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. It's great to see so many out this morning and I can only assume based upon me working the room this morning that there are a number here for the very first time and I just want to make you feel absolutely welcome so can we put our hands together for those guys look at Damien Kelly down here clapping the new guys just an old hand at this aren't you mate been here all the time which is great Damien and I go way back don't we mate played soccer together back in 1982 I believe that was the first year we played together can you still play soccer no, there you go. Arthritis set in, has it, mate? <laughs> for those who are here for the first time, I don't know what your background is, whether you have a, a church background, a Christian background, or you're here just because you was hoping to meet some girls, but there isn't any, so sorry about that. Bad luck. You'll have to come tomorrow, okay? So uh, we have plenty of girls here tomorrow. Um, but we have a real passion in this church to speak to men. You know, we, we, we love women. Women are great. I love women so much. I even married one. You've heard me say that many times before. But I do believe there's something significant when the men get together. A pastor in America was asked, what does he think could turn America right side up? What, what, what do you think would be good for America? And his answer is very simple. Three things. Get the men, get the men, get the men. In other words, if men would stand up and be the men that they were meant to be, He believes that society could be turned around. I believe the same is true here in Australia. Uh, By and large, uh, it's women that go to church. By and large, it's women that read their Bibles. By and large, it's women that pray. And I believe more often than not, it's because Christianity has been presented in a way that isn't appealing to men. And so as a church, we've tried our very, very best to present Christianity Um, from a male perspective and uh, in a way that is relevant to men. The founder of the Christian movement was a man. His name is Jesus. Those that started the church were men. And it's weird to me that it's been reduced to a bunch of old women that go to church. And so we're trying our very best to turn that around and present some teaching that is hopefully biblical, inspirational and very, very practical. The words of Jesus to Peter were this, you are Peter and on you, you can be guaranteed that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. In other words, what Jesus is highlighting here to Peter as a man is this, you will build. And I believe it's a mandate for every man to be involved in building. Let's face it, every one of us as men want to be involved in the building process. We want, to, we want to be involved in creating something, making something happen. That's in the DNA of every one of us. You may say, no, that's not me. If that is true, that's probably because you've been worn down by the system or society or something. But I want to tell you, if you think back to your childhood days when you just dreamed a little, there was these dreams that you had of conquering and overcoming and winning winning and being significant. Is that true? And I want to rebirth that dream in the hearts of men today because we were created to build. We were created to conquer. We were created to overcome. We were created to make a difference. We were created to lead. We were created to pioneer. We were created to be on the forefront of things. 
uh, 17 years ago with nothing else other than the help of a few friends, uh, about 11 of us, we started this church. We weren't given money, but we were given an opportunity. And we've had lots of bad days and lots of sad days. Uh, there was no guarantee to financial remuneration. I had to finance myself in the business that I was a part of. I had my own business sign writing. There was no guarantee that in starting this church, you'd earn enough money to be able to pay for yourself. It was just an opportunity. And I just grabbed that opportunity with both hands. And here we are 17 years later, and I'm just amazed at what God is doing. And I think to myself, what can God do in and through us in the next 17 years? What can take place? I mean, the things that we have done, I never even dreamed, hoped or even imagined that we could possibly do those things. And here we are having boxing, beer and burger nights in church. I didn't know you could do that. It's certainly not something I'd seen done before. And uh, whenever you put on things like that, opposition comes because that's the other side of building. Whenever you decide to build something, opposition comes. Whenever you decide to create a culture, opposition comes. And so even the very mention of blokes getting together in a church building created some opposition for us amongst, of all people, other Christians. Before our very first bloke night, we had four or five people ringing us up, not people from our church, but people who didn't understand our culture, people who didn't understand us, people who don't understand our vision and what we're trying to achieve, just ringing up and prophesying doom and gloom and telling us basically that we're all going to hell, which is not very Christian. And uh, just warning us that, you know, we've sold our soul to the devil or something. And uh, as a result of us selling our soul to the devil, there are guys in this room today as a result of that event. And that doesn't sound like the devil to me. That sounds more like God. So with all the love I can muster, I say this, stuff them. In love. Amen. So uh, that's what we're all about because I believe that we are called to build, we are called to conquer, we are called to get involved in things that never before existed. If we don't do that, what will happen is we get bored. And when you get bored, you sit in front of the television, you sit in front of the internet and you watch things that aren't helpful to your health, aren't helpful to your marriage, aren't helpful for raising kids. And that's what's happening in society today. We've got these men that are couch potatoes. And so you don't have to be a Christian to agree with me, but you have to just look at the statistics and that will tell you exactly what I'm saying. Please don't turn off just because we're in a church building and because I'm seemingly preaching at you. I want you to understand the wisdom behind what I'm saying. If we don't attach our life to purpose, if we don't attach our lives to building, if we don't attach our lives to creating, we will just get bored. And bored men do stupid things. And it's those things. And, you, and then, then if you go on the other side and ask the women what is annoying about the husbands is they sit in front of the television all day. They don't do anything. And we were not created to sit in front of the television. I didn't see Jesus saying to Peter, Hey, Peter! You shall sit on thine couch and watch television all day long. No, he said, you'll be, you'll be involved in building. And you're going to have some bad days, sad days, dark days. Oh, but you can have some great days. That's what it is to be a man. It's not about comfort. It's not about safety. It's about getting involved in people's lives. And with this in mind, okay, I want to read a, a portion of Scripture and it's found in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is a letter that a man by the name of Paul wrote to a young man to encourage him, basically. And uh, this is what he said. He said, 
So my son, throw yourself into the work of Christ. Pass on what you heard from me, the whole congregation saying, Amen. To reliable leaders who are competent to teach others. When the going gets rough, take it on the chin with the rest of us, the way Jesus did. A soldier on duty doesn't get caught up in making deals in the marketplace. He concentrates on carrying out orders. An athlete who refuses to play by the rules will never get anywhere. It's the diligent farmer who gets the produce. Think it over. God will make it plain. One thing I love about the Bible is that it's actually very practical. And Paul wrote some things that were a little bit difficult to understand at times. But for the most part, he used illustrations that were very easy to understand. He highlights three things that for the most part we can all identify with in order to make a point about following Christ. And I want to highlight those three things this morning very, very quickly. In light of what I've said about building, in light of what I've said about staying true to the focus and purpose, Paul says this, in order for that to happen, you've got to train like an athlete. That's what Paul's saying. The guy that wrote most of the New Testament some 2,000 years ago used illustrations that we can relate to today. Train like an athlete. My brother-in-law was an Olympic athlete. He represented Australia in three different Olympics in the area of cycling. In his first Olympics, Barcelona, he got a silver medal. In the second Olympics, he got a bronze medal, went down. But at the Sydney Olympics, he got a gold medal. And that's fantastic. And for a short, brief moment in time, he was a hero. He was in the paper. He was on the news. He was um, being interviewed all the time. And it was fantastic. But here's the thing. That moment in time didn't just happen because he woke up one day and thought, oh, I'm just going to get on my bike. And all of a sudden, with supersonic speed, he won a gold medal. It doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. He had to train hard. And uh, I've known him for many, many years. In actual fact, during that season of his life, he was a little bit of a machine. If he wasn't on his bike, he was eating. If he wasn't eating, he was sleeping. And if he wasn't sleeping, he was on his bike. And if he wasn't on his bike, he was eating. If he wasn't eating, he was sleeping. And if he wasn't sleeping, he was on his bike and so it went on. Got to train like an athlete. In order to put into practice the things that I'm talking about, you've got to think of the athlete. You've got to train hard. And I think one of the things that's let Christian men down is, for the most part, when it comes to being a male Christian, we're not good at doing things. We're just not. And I want to encourage you as men to be good at what you do. To train. God's called you for a purpose. God's called you to be involved in some area of life. And it's for you to find out what that is and train and become good at it. It's not all about just coming to church and then whatever you do outside of church has got nothing to do with church. No, the whole gamut of life is meant to be Christian service. And so when you're at church, we're meant to be serving Christ. When you're in your workplace, you're meant to be serving Christ. But you're meant to do that well. Otherwise, there's going to be duplicity between our Sundays and our Mondays through to Saturdays. 
And so I want to encourage you men to get good at what you do. It could be involved in people skills, business skills, preaching skills, in budgeting or raising kids. It's no good us just going to church, but our kids are just unruly. It's not easy being a parent. It's not easy being a husband. It's not easy being these things. We've got to train. You know, not only did um, Brett, who's my uh, brother-in-law, train hard, but he studied hard in order to know what to train in. And his nutrition and uh, his exercise and his sleeping patterns, he had to learn all those things in order to be able to put them into practice. And so I want to encourage you as men to train like an athlete. It's interesting as we bring new people onto our staff and we have times of prayer, we wouldn't bring anyone on in our staff who wasn't a man or a woman of prayer. But praying privately and praying publicly are two different things. And there's this notion that if you don't pray publicly, you're not a praying person or you're not a spiritual person. That's not true. It's just that praying publicly is another skill level that you've got to require. And it involves training. Does that make sense? And so in order for people to come through, we will give them the opportunity to train in the area of public speaking or public praying or public whatever it is. And we're doing that right now with, with new staff members and we'll continue to do that because we want to see them come through. So you've got to train like an athlete if we're going to be the men I believe God wants us to be. Secondly, Paul says, you've got to work hard like a farmer. You've got to train like an athlete and you've got to work hard like a farmer. Now, most of us here can't identify with the farmer because we're not farmers. But if you just stop and think about what it takes to be a farmer, one thing that we can be sure of is this, they work hard. The farmer is up early. He's sowing. He's reaping. He's cleaning. He's feeding the animals. He's, he's preparing the crops, etc., etc., etc. There's all this work. And Paul says, think of the farmer. And that's how you as Christian men should be. You should work hard. This notion that being a Christian you can be lazy and just pray for everything is not true. Some people actually want to go into ministry and become pastors because they believe that there's no heavy lifting involved. Which again is just a wrong notion of what it is to be a Christian man. And so Paul says here that we should work hard like a farmer. To produce a harvest, you've got to work hard. To grow a family, you have to work hard. You have to work hard on your family in order to keep it together. That means time playing with them, time talking with them, time correcting them. It's not easy being married and it's not easy raising kids. In actual fact, if it was easy, everyone would be married and everyone would be staying married. But in order for a marriage to work, you've got to work hard at it. That's what he's saying. We've come up with this notion now, because it's so hard, it doesn't work. That's not true. That's like the farmer saying, ah, oh, this whole thing of farming, it just doesn't work as he sits there in bed and just wonder why the crop doesn't come up. It's ridiculous. 
And we live in a society today that says marriage doesn't work. It works. It's just hard work. And we as Christian men need to do the hard work in order to show society that marriage is God's way. And if we don't do that, what's going to happen is what we see prevailing. And what we see prevailing is people no longer committed in marriage. We see people sleeping around. We see all sorts of comparisons taking place as a result of someone having 10, 20, 30, 100, 1,000 different partners. Pity the poor guy who has to marry that woman or pity the poor woman who has to marry that guy who's had all this sexual experience. Now there's all this comparison going on. God wanted to save every marriage, every couple from that. See, God's not a party pooper. God is not trying to ruin your life by telling you to do certain things and not do certain things. God has a method to His madness. God has a reason behind everything He asks us to do and He has a reason behind everything He asks us not to do. God wants relationships to be healthy and strong and to be void of sexually transmitted diseases, to be void of all the comparisons that take place as a result. But because a few people have put their hand up and said yes to marriage and didn't put the work in, They've come to this conclusion, ah, it's just not worth it. And they've come up with this pathetic notion. And I hate it when I hear men say this. I think it's the lamest thing a man can ever say. Women can't live with them, can't live without them. That is the lamest, weakest, most useless thing that will ever come from a man's mouth. You're stuffed if you can't live with them or without them because they ain't going anywhere. Women are here to stay. Except in these meetings. Are there any women in this meeting this morning? Never tire of that joke. Love it. Never tire of a Monty Python moment. So we've got to work hard. If you don't work hard at your marriage, one day you won't have one. See, people often think it's better... This is for the single guys. It's all right for you married guys. When I'm single, oh, it's going to be all so much better. What you need to understand about marriage is that the devil didn't show up until Adam was married. That's when the problems start. I mean, it's awesome. I love being married. I do. I've been married for almost 20 years. And I dated the girl I married for eight years. So for 28 years, I've been with this same girl. and She's awesome. I love her a bit. So I really do. And I love her more today than I've ever loved her before. But not just because we pray together and sing Kumbaya. We work hard at it. We work hard at keeping our marriage strong and healthy. And working hard at a marriage means doing certain things. Like dishes, taking the bin out. It means doing things you don't normally like to do. That's what it means by working hard. That's what Paul's saying here about the farmer. The farmer doesn't wake up the morning and say, oh, isn't that a glorious day? I just gonna, he just loves everything about what he does. He's not, Paul's not saying that. I don't know a farmer that loves every aspect of his job. I don't know anyone who loves every aspect of their job. And as a married man that loves marriage and believes in marriage, I don't love every aspect of marriage. Admitting to my wife I'm wrong sucks. I don't like that, but that's what it takes. Is there a brave man who's married said, I've never made one mistake. 
and they've never had to apologise. It sucks. That's the hard things that Paul's talking about. Do those hard things. Work hard at keeping your marriage healthy. Because it's so easy to displace. It's so easy to deflect. And instead of working hard and say, I'm sorry, we can take the easy route and say, oh, she, it was just her fault. That's the easy way. Paul didn't say, consider the lazy farmer. He said, no, consider the farmer that works hard. And if you want your marriage to work, you've got to work hard. So that means doing things you don't really like doing or don't want to do. But it also means don't doing certain things. It could be a little thing like the toilet seat being left up. This is going to seem like nothing to the single guys here. But when you get married, the toilet seat being up or down is a major issue in any marriage. At least it was for us. And I remember in the first year of our marriage, having this massive battle and then realising, you know what? I was trying to win this battle. I was trying to win the battle that, you know what? It doesn't matter if it's up or down. Then I thought, you know what? This is going to drive me insane. It's best I just put it down. It's just best I put it down. Come on, man. Alvin, give us five, man. Cool. It also means abstaining from certain other things, like looking at certain things on the internet, flirting with certain female companions that could be at the office or workplace. For a marriage to work, you need to work hard. To work hard, you need to do certain things and you need to abstain from doing certain things. That's what it means to work hard. And for us to be the Christian men God's called us to be and to redeem what people think about Christian men and Christians in general, we just need to work hard. If we would train like an athlete as Christian men and if we would work hard like the farmer, I'm telling you, we will not be ignored. Even now in this church and other churches in the city and around the world, We're seeing people who hated church stopping now and looking because things are changing. And I believe it's our lifestyle that needs to speak more than our words. It's no good us as inverted commas Christian men saying, come to church, you need to go to church. If you don't go to church, you're going to hell. But our lifestyle says nothing different There's nothing appealing about that. The Bible says, be my witnesses. It didn't say go around witnessing. It just says, says, be my witnesses. In other words, live a lifestyle that is a witness to others. So people can't ignore you. That's the way we should live our lives. Man, you're always working hard. Even on the most mundane, menial jobs I ask you to do. I'm telling you, that's the way to promotion. You do that and your boss will take notice. You just, you just work so diligently, you work so hard, you're so faithful. And I believe the same is true in raising kids. I believe the same is true in keeping a marriage together. We've got guys in here who are struggling in their marriages. I was away on holiday recently in Bali and I got an inbox message on my Facebook and I don't normally like to open inbox messages because can anything good come from an inbox message when you're away on holiday? Probably not. But this was one of those great messages. And it was from a woman in the church that was thanking me, Kath and Pete and the team for continually hounding them on what the Bible says about marriage. 
Because they wanted us to say, ah, it's okay, just give up and give him. But we wouldn't. We said, no, no, no. And the message was, thanks for not giving up. Thanks for not giving in on us. But thanks for persisting with us and telling us not what we wanted to hear, but what we needed to hear. And they've made a recent commitment to continue to working on the marriage. And I just commend men and women who are making those decisions. It's a hard decision. If, if, if marriage was easy, everyone would be married. If staying married was easy, everyone would be staying married. If raising kids was easy, everyone would be doing it. If being a Christian was easy, everyone would be one. But there's just elements of every job and every aspect of life that has its moments. And it's those moments that are making or breaking of a man. So we need to train like an athlete. We need to work like a dog, no farmer. And we need to, number three, fight like a soldier. In order to hold on to what you've built, you've got to fight. I want you to catch this. See, love is not the absence of war. This notion that they had in the 60s, all you need is love and just love on everybody, it didn't help. Just just created a lot of pregnancies and sexually transmitted diseases and insecurities and everything else. That's not love. The Bible says love hates evil. Can you imagine if we take this kumbaya, love everybody notion? Imagine your daughter, young girl, or even son, young son, on a swing in the playground and some pedophile goes up to that kid of yours that you've birthed and raised and he starts pushing your kid on the swing and enticing your kid with lollies to come to a toilet block and you've got to love him. All you need is love. That's not love. Loving that man by letting him have his way with your kid is not love. That's not showing love to the child. Love hates evil. In order for us to build anything, in order for us to keep what we are trying to build, you've got to know how to fight. You've got to know how to stand up. You've got to know how to speak into a situation. One of the biggest problems today is that we're trying to do away with all forms of punishment. There was a day back in the day, my dad will tell you, you could walk down the street, do something wrong, and a policeman could clip you around the ear, and that was good. That was needed. We're not allowed to do that anymore. I remember being back at school where if you did the wrong thing, you were sent outside and you got a jolly good smack on the behind by a metre ruler by the cricket coach. And the cricket coach didn't just stand there and go whack. The cricket coach, Mr Shanahan, grade six, we called him Sir. (laughs) Yes, sir. No, sir. I mean, you did not want to get in trouble with Mr Shanahan because you knew that getting in trouble with Mr Shanahan as a boy meant standing out in the corridor like this as he took one step, two steps. This is what he did. Back in the day, this is in the 70s, and he go, one, two, whack. He broke a number of those metre rules over kids' backsides. Is that the answer for today? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. But I know this. 
just saying, stop it, Johnny. 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 Stop it, Johnny is not the answer. It's interesting. I was talking to Pete today, uh, just the other day, and he said they're looking at instituting on-the-spot fines for misbehaviour. Which means we've gone full circle. Whereas back in the day, the policeman could clip a kid around the ear. We're not allowed to do that anymore, but we realise actually they still need to be punished. So down Highly Street, two kids are messing around on the spot fine. Whatever way we look at it, we realise there needs to be a standing up for justice. There needs to be a punishment for wrongdoing. And in order for us to be the Christian men God's called us to be, we need to know how to fight like a soldier. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, train like an athlete. Work hard like the farmer. Fight like a soldier. Okay, Paul, which one do you want us to be? All of them. All of them. If you're always fighting, that's the problem. But there's times you're going to need to fight. So in those times, be the soldier. When you need to work hard, be the farmer. When you need to train hard, be the athlete. So it's all of those at different times. And while I'm not condoning that we're always fighting and always argumented, I'm talking about standing up for what's right. I'm talking about as Christian men making a stand. To hold on to what we've built, we have to fight. But know this, the battle is not against flesh and blood, but our battle is about an unseen realm. That's what the Bible says. Behind all wrongdoing, behind all evil, is a source of evil. The Bible calls that source of evil the devil, Lucifer, Satan. And Satan is very real today. All the problems in the world today stem back to the work of the enemy. It's manifest in all sorts of ways, but behind it is this relentless pursuit to bring this world down. The Bible says it this way, Jesus came to give us life, but the devil came to ruin life. The devil came to kill, steal and destroy all that is good. He wants to steal, kill and destroy every marriage, every family. He wants to kill, steal and destroy your health. He wants to kill, steal and destroy the society that God set up in the first place. And so we have to know how to fight. Um, The fight will manifest itself in such things as culture. Our battle is not against people, but it will manifest itself in things like culture. So we live in a culture today that says sleep around, eat, drink and be merry. This is what Paul was dealing with. You've heard it said, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Paul says, no, don't think like that. His fight was against the culture of the day. We live in a similar one that says sleep around, do what you want to do, be what you want to be, do whatever you want as long as it's not hurting anyone. So we've come to this notion, you can sleep around with a thousand girls and as long as I'm not hurting anyone, what about those thousand girls that get hurt? What about the, you know, maybe not all thousand of them, but what about some of them that actually thought it was more than just a one night stand and they actually liked the guy. Now they're hurt. That's someone getting hurt. The trouble is we don't stop and think, are people getting hurt? We just make a glib statement. I can do whatever I want as long as no one's getting hurt. The trouble is what we're doing is hurting a lot of people. And so we need to stand up and make a fight against the culture that says sleep around, do whatever you want. We say, no, that's not the way. Not that we as Christian men want to come across as a load of prudes and be boring. I, I think Christian men should have the greatest lives ever. 
I think within the confines of marriage, they should have the best sex lives because they don't have all that other stuff and junk to compete with. I'm not advocating a boring, staid existence. I'm talking about purpose. I'm talking about building. I'm talking about keeping. I'm talking about gaining. I'm talking about fighting when we need to fight, working hard when we need to work hard. And I'm talking about training well when we need to train. Every man wants this. We settle for the easy option because why? It's easy. That's why we settle for the easy option because it's easy. But intrinsically, we don't want easy. We want to fight. We want to battle. We want a mission. We want a purpose. We want something to run at. That's what we want. Our fight can be against family. Jesus had a fight with his own family. Jesus' family did not get him. And he loved them and he honoured them. But he didn't follow everything they said just because they were his family. This manipulation that a lot of families put on people after all we've done for you. One thing I appreciate about my dad, and I often end up talking about dad, particularly in men's meetings, is he's done a lot for me, but he's never said after all I've done for you. He's done the best he could with what he had and then just left the rest to us. So I live in the freedom from manipulation. And that's the way God wants it to be. So the fight could be against culture, it could be against family, it could just be against yourself. The inner fears, the inner battles, the inner doubts, the anxiety that comes. We've got to fight those things. We've got to fight those things. So I'm not talking about putting on boxing gloves and knocking everyone out. I'm talking about some fights that we will have to make and a stand. I spoke at a friend's church at their men's meeting three weeks ago up at Kadena. And this friend reminded me of a story. I think I've shared it a few times in this church, but he reminded me with, with fresh vigor of a moment when I was 17. And myself and this guy, Jeff, who leads the church now up at Kadena, and probably seven or other, eight of my other mates got involved in marijuana, the, the, the lighter drug of the day back in the late 80s. And there's something about my culture that just didn't do drugs. And don't, God help you if you ask me to do drugs. And these were meant to be my friends of all people. And I never forget, we went around Jeff's house one night and this night kind of got crazy and all of a sudden the marijuana's being passed around and I stood up. I didn't throw a punch. I didn't swear and carry on like a headless chook. I just simply said a few words. I said, if you guys call yourself friends and bring me to this, then you're no longer my friends. I'm having nothing to do with this. The place went silent. The drugs got put away. We watched a video. We laughed. And I sat there thinking, what just happened? I'll tell you what happened. At that moment, I was fighting like a soldier. Making a stand against my friends. Against the culture. And that's what you and I have to do. I had to make a stand against my own fears. What will they think? What should, should I say anything? Should I? It's just easy to go along and say, yes, why make a scene? And you know what? No one can ever take that story away from me. And it's formed and fashioned me to be where I am today at the age of 42. And I want you to know that for all that, ah, oh, man, what a great night. We got stoned. We got smashed. We got this. We got those stories versus one I've just told, standing up, making a difference, 
there's something goes off inside every man with that story versus the other one. It just is. I know that's true because it's the way we've been created. We weren't created to go with the flow. We are created to go against the flow. That's the way God's made us. So you tell some great stories about parties, doing fun jokes, yep, good. Tell a story about making a stand. And there's something that goes off. I'm going to close with this story. I've got two pages to read. I won't do it for the sake of time. I'll just highlight the main points. A man by the name of William Borden was born in the late 1800s. He was born into a wealthy family. He was heir to his father's business. The trouble is, God got a hold of his life. At the age of 16, his parents sent him on a round-the-world tour just to experience life, and experience life he did. He started to see the hurt and the pain in people everywhere he went. And he started feeling a call to the nations as a missionary. He went back home, got involved in university, and in university started a prayer meeting. By the time he'd left that, prayer, uh, that university, a number of years later, that prayer meeting was up to 1,500 people. Such was his influence. During that time, obviously as a young man, he was growing. And his convictions about certain things were growing. And he realized that his future was not with his father's business. And I want to pick up the story as I read now. William Borden was a graduate of Yale University in 1909 of the Princeton Theological Seminary. Borden was converted to Christianity under the ministry of D.L. Moody. He later decided to become a missionary to the Muslims in China. But he died of spinal meningitis in Egypt during his training at the age of 25. In other words, he never actually got to do what he really wanted to do. Instead of going straight to China, he thought, I'd go to Egypt and just learn something of the culture and language before I get there. And in that time, he died. After his death, Borden's Bible was found and it was given to his parents. In it, they found in one place the words, no reserve. And a date placing the note shortly after he renounced his fortune in favour of missions. So the moment he made a call for missions over and above his fortune, he wrote, no reserve. I have no reserve. At a later point, he had written, no retreat, dated shortly after his father told him that he would never let him work in the company ever again. He's made a decision Missions over fortune, no reserve. His father said, you will never work in this company again. To which he responds, no retreat. Shortly after he died in Egypt, he had one more phrase. No regrets. This man died at the age of 25 achieving more than most men who live to be 85. And his life can be summarized with three short statements. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. I believe William Borden was a man 
that trained like an athlete, fought like a soldier, and worked hard like the farmer. Father, I want to thank you for men coming together. I want to thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and lives. And I pray that this word would not fall on deaf ears, but you would use something of this message to speak to every man, Christian or non-Christian, mature, immature, no matter where we're at in life, use something of what I said today to bring us to a place of conviction and a place of maturity. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.